0: My next guest is Natalie Vardabasso. Natalie is an education consultant, speaker, and podcast host who has served as a high school and middle school teacher, instructional coach, and assessment lead in a K-12 context where she led her community through assessment and grading transformation. Her mission is to reimagine education through a liberating praxis And she is currently doing that as a full-time consultant, host of the EduCrush podcast, and by founding a program called the Empowerment Ecosystem that helps the middle children of education step into their power as a visionary catalyst. She left the classroom five years ago, and she was an English and social studies teacher at the time. She also taught different electives, such as musical theater. Right now, she's working a lot with the coaching and assessment leadership, and has also transitioned to outcomes-based uh, grading in um, Canada. She was in Calgary, Calgary, Alberta, and it works a little bit as well with Solution Tree. Welcome mm-hmm. to the podcast.
1: Hi, Dina. thanks for having
0: me. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to call out.
1: This is a fascinating question and one that I loved reflecting on because story is one of my favorite things. But it's interesting, the premise in the trenches, because when I first heard it and heard the name of your podcast, Mm -hmm. I assumed it was talking about just stories of teaching, because most people refer to teaching as, you know, being in the trenches, you're on the front lines. And when I was reflecting on my story, it really wasn't something that happened when I was in the classroom. I actually don't have a lot of negative memories of being in the classroom. I think it gets a bad rap of being this thankless job, or you're just getting dumped on by apathetic students and, you know, out of touch administrators and belligerent parents. But I remember just getting so much positive feedback from kids and from parents and from leaders. So my moment in the trenches, if we take it metaphorically to mean feeling trapped and feeling hopeless and feeling like I was stuck was actually when I left the classroom. Mm -hmm. And it was those first couple of years that I moved into an instructional coaching role because you go from getting all of this positive feedback and the year-end gifts and the here my favorite teacher ever to mm-hmm. basically zero it's like 100 to 0 mm-hmm. <laughs> and on top of it you're tasked with change and innovation which are things that inherently make people uncomfortable and you're in this role that i've deemed as like the middle child of education because it's a newly formed role teachers are well established Administrators are well established. And so you're left in the middle where you're not teacher enough for the teachers and you're not leader enough for the leaders. And as a result, I felt like I became this person who was running on a hamster wheel, desperately trying to get validation from everybody and feeling completely lost. And one bleak moment that was my like, I was in the pit of the trenches, like grenades were flying in, dirt was collapsing on me was I, it was right before a PD day. Mm-hmm. and I was about to start this day and it was about assessment. So it's a topic that, you know, is already a little emotionally charged and I'm, I'm getting in the headspace to get the day ready. And my supervisor pulled me aside and said, I just want to let you know that there's been some complaints about your passion. So if you could just tone it down a little bit, that would be really appreciated, I think, for everybody. And I remember sitting there like red in the face, couldn't think of anything to say back. Absolutely devastated. Because I felt like I had been killing myself to try to... Th- Feel valuable. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it was like this rock bottom of, okay, I have to pull myself, if you will, out of these trenches because this isn't working and I'm not getting anywhere. And it was really the beginning of my journey to reimagine what leadership truly means. Mm -hmm. And I went from this hamster wheel of trying to prove myself to every person to realizing that we needed to come together to build together and to co create. And that's where I really set my sights on the assessment system because that was a bigger goal than. I could achieve on my own. I couldn't go away and create the entire K to 12 system. I needed others and we had to build it together. And it was that shift in energy from, I need to prove myself to what can we do that I think was the moment when I stepped out of the trenches, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And a lot of, I've, I've interviewed other instructional coaches on uh, the platform, but a lot of you them have not talked about kind of that middle child role and how like you're kind of in that no man's land. Right. And, you know, just also like, like you said, getting a lot of recognition um, as a teacher in the classroom by your students. um, But kind of having Mm -hmm. that, yeah, role where you're just kind of like
1: your own island, I would say. Yeah, totally (laughs) isolated. It's interesting. Other coaches didn't bring it up because I've reflected a lot on the fact that I'm more honest about the story since I've left my school-based role and I've left the system because when you're still in it, you're so worried about not looking grateful because everyone looks at you like, oh, well, you got out of the classroom. So who are you to complain? What do you do all day anyways? And I I hear coaches that are still in it in that same way I was being like, I am so grateful. It's such a great opportunity. And they have like black rings under their eyes and they clearly haven't been sleeping. And they're like not taking breaks anymore. (laughs) And you're Mm -hmm. like, is it though? Like there's something in that role that I think is uh, that seems to be be interrogated. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as I mentioned in the bio, you've stepped now into more of a uh, role where you're leading change in a complex system. Um, mm-hmm. So you're working a lot with reimagining education, um, and you know, right now, um, you know, we're we're still kind of coming out of just uh, what can we do to have a new perspective on on education. I think there's still a lot of turnover. Um, in Mm -hmm. some schools, there's hopelessness. Uh, Mm -hmm. So how do we actually transform this and really um, start making change and just not do the status quo?
1: Yeah, I think it starts at unpacking what is meant by complexity, because Mm -hmm. there's a thing people do. And I've deemed it marveling at complexity. And you've probably heard it, Dana, it goes like this. Oh, yeah, Natalie, we should totally change grading. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But it's just so complex. And people kind of all around the room, everyone nods and it kind of shuts the conversation down. And so I want to say first and foremost, that complexity is not synonymous with impossible. And a lot of people treat those words as meaning that, but the truth of the matter is we've shifted from a complicated world and system to a complex one because of the emergence of the internet. We have, and social media, especially we have information coming at us from all sides, 24 seven. A multitude of perspectives, and it's no different in our schools. And so complexity just means that the tools that worked in our past aren't as, they're not going to be as efficient today, they're not going to be as effective. And so in a complicated system, we could plan with a little bit of predictability and certainty that the next three to five years, we're going to unroll exactly as we were hoping. And we might have to make some adjustments, but it was a pretty clear path. With complexity, we just have such diversity of perspectives and viewpoints and factors that all we can do is plan to take the next right step and then let the complex system give us feedback so we know where to go next. But that means that we have to get better at clarifying a really compelling vision that calls people into doing the work with us. And I think one of the greatest tools (laughs) that we have at our disposal and that we forget about all the time in leadership work and also in schools is story. Mm -hmm. because it inherently activates the head, the heart. And then if we learn how to tell the right kinds of stories, the hands, because it can instruct people on what it is they need to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of like story, um, how can we really start um, using like storytelling um, to kind of look at being a reliable means of assessment?
1: Mm. Oh my gosh, well- (laughs) First of all, recognizing that it just is, I think for some people's story, there is a bias that we all have, that it's something that's done in the elementary years If students are telling and creating stories. It's something kind of Mm -hmm. playful and frivolous, but we should get rid of it by the time we get to the real critical thinking. And that's so interesting because our brains are storytellers. Like We are inherently wired for story. It's how us as human beings make sense of the world. There's robust bodies of neuroscientific research that supports this. And yet in schools, we always go back to this like extractive model that actually makes Mm -hmm. learning harder. So if we even just take like a really local example, so take writing for instance, Mm because I taught, you know, writing at all levels, as soon as you get into the high school level, most people think writing needs to become this really clunky, critical process by which students have a thesis. And then they got to cherry pick information and move it from here and put it into their, their essay and prove their point. And it's hard and I think we make it unnecessarily more hard than it needs to be. So Thomas Newkirk, who's a, he's written prolifically on the topic of literacy. He wrote a book called Minds Made for Stories, where he looked at the neuroscientific research and says, we have to rethink even just like critical writing through story, if we actually want it to grab an audience, grab a reader, and more importantly, develop meaning for the person who's writing, and not just make it this clunky, robotic process of moving things from one pile to another. And so he cites uh, two other folks who came up with the idea of this inquiry based writing approach. Whereby rather than just stating a thesis and then explaining why it's true, we actually have to create the need for a thesis and then write towards it. So instead of five paragraphs that most of us would probably know off the top of our head, you know, you got your introduction, three body paragraphs, conclusion. Your first paragraph is describe something in the story or the text, whatever it may be, that brings up a question for you that's got a problem in there that you can't quite figure out. Next section, it doesn't have to be one paragraph necessarily. What is the question? What are you wondering? And then the next section is like, what are possible answers? What did you, then the next section is, what did you land on is, what is the most probable answer? And then zoom out, what did this teach you about the rest of the text or about yourself or life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Story, right? That's what happens in story. There's a problem, the characters work through it. There's some conflict and tension. And then there's some kind of a theme or a resolution with a new understanding. So that's just one very like micro example. But then there's so many ways we could rethink a lot of how we gather evidence in school Mm -hmm. spaces of what students are learning, but also how they're learning that would lead to deeper meaning. And then also connection because story breeds connection and community as well
0: yeah and i um when i was teaching french i used storybird um i don't know if you've heard of it this no. online platform so they the students choose the template you can use it for creative writing and language arts as well mm-hmm. but they choose like the pictures um sometimes they can make their own template but um, you know they have like the the pictures for the story already there and then the students write the story to oh, the pictures so is that kind of the same type um cuz you're talking about writing totally. to the thesis okay
1: Yeah, similar idea. I mean, you could imagine a teacher that pulls um, pictures from history, Mm -hmm. right? Like in a sequential order. And then rather than just teaching a lesson, students and teams co-create, what is the story these pictures are telling us? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. brilliant. What a great way to see if they're making sense of those graphics in a way that you would intend and what they're learning accurately about history. So much you could respond to in terms of feedback and next steps in their learning, um, but I think unfortunately, story is something that a lot of teachers will get behind in terms of teaching. They'll mm-hmm. say, I love story. I always use it to teach my lessons. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that we don't often give students the opportunity to engage in story because we all like telling stories.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm yeah and I think, like like you said, a lot of the time in in English class, it's like, okay, we have this prompt um about the literature reading, for example, and that's like we're teaching to the standards, so we have to just mm-hmm. complete this prompt, but we're not giving the students the the chance to actually use their creative writing, right? I think a lot mm-hmm. of the kids don't get uh, really a lot of creative writing exposure until they're in college. Mm-hmm. So I did Mm -hmm. try to incorporate that, um, you know, in my French classes uh, several years ago when I was still teaching French, but, you know, I think it's, yeah, like, like important. It's not just something we want to do, you
1: know, for upper elementary and maybe at middle school, but really, yeah. um, And and as the standards evolve, an important point Mm -hmm. here is like, I was talking with a teacher just last week when I was down in uh, Iowa and he was like, I hear you, but I have so much pressure to get them prepared for the standardized test. And it's in this very specific format. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I hear you. They definitely deserve to have some kind of rehearsal with that format. But Mm -hmm. I think we overdo it sometimes. And we make it the be all and end all in courses, Mm -hmm. where it's just about building their skills of communication. Mm -hmm. And you can communicate through a wide variety of mediums. And in fact, that might engage kids more and trick them into the skills of thinking like a writer, like revision. Mm -hmm. that they don't even know they're doing because now they're making a YouTube video, for example. Mm -hmm. And then they can start to like have feedback around how are you developing your skills, you know, as a revisor. And then that is more likely to transfer when they go back into that writing task. If we just hammer them with the same tasks and the same prompts and the same dry standardized format all year, like no wonder they hate writing. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I'm over this. Like it's on us to think about what are the other means of evidence that we could gather, but continue to move the same learning forward. Mhm
0: mhm yeah no i totally get that um so talk to me a little bit about the empowerment ecosystem mm. um and the voice method
1: of assessment uh, explain what those are for sure so the empowerment ecosystem actually came it was an idea that had been percolating in the back of my mind for a while probably right in my out of the trenches moment of being like wow this is a lot harder than i ever anticipated when i moved mm-hmm. into this leadership position and then when i left my school based role last may I really started reflecting on how can I help those people who I believe are the biggest catalyst for change, mm-hmm. because they're not bogged down in the administrative that principals and teachers are, they have the instructional capacity, they see all of the system and they really just don't have anyone supporting them because no one most people haven't been in a role like that so they don't really know how to help them. So I was like I want to help those people. So how I built the program was interviewing folks across North America that felt they aligned with that that feeling and the hope of reimagining uh, the education system through assessment and rethinking grading.
0: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the
1: episode. Co-designed a program with them, ran a prototype, got feedback, iterated, and it's really just evolved from there. So I've kept letting people know it's a thing. People keep joining. We actually just hosted our first summit in Vancouver just a few weeks ago. So members of the program came, but then we also extended personal invites to a lot of folks in our networks. And they all came and it was an incredible experience, completely grounded in story. And so that's what that is. And at the core of it is the voice method, which is really my own deep thinking of what have I read? What's worked? What are the moves that these people can make to reimagine education through assessment? And so, voice is an acronym because, you know, we love our acronyms in education, but it stands for vision, optimize, invite, cultivate, and expand. Mm-hmm. So At the vision stage, that's where, and we could do this at the classroom level or at the school level. So I'll try to give an example for both. But at the vision stage, we just have to really clarify what is it we want students to know and be able to do. And that seems like Mm -hmm. such an obvious step, but I would argue it's the most skipped step. People say, well, it's in the curriculum, but they don't really clarify, like, what is that? And I even tell people, make a profile of a learner, five to six clear overarching competencies that are gonna stretch through every unit, every project that you do, and that students can start to gather evidence of as well. So that's vision. Optimize is if you're gonna say you value creativity for instance, a lot of people will say, I want them to be more creative. What does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. Like unpack, what does it mean to develop creativity? How do I know Mm -hmm. if I'm a beginner? How do I know if I'm getting closer to proficiency? Like we really do have to use some of our assessment literature and or literacy and tools to make sense of what that means and then share those tools with others so they can self-assess on their journey. Invite, I usually say is invite rethinking. Mm -hmm. I don't think we talk about this part enough in the change leadership realm, which is how do we invite our colleagues to rethink? How do we invite students to rethink? Because to do things differently is going to require some attention to the resistance that will come up. Mm -hmm. And that's just a non-negotiable. And if we try to put our heads down and pretend it's not going to happen. We're going to get very frustrated when it does. Mm -hmm. And then C is how do we actually start to gather evidence of learning? So there's the very traditional ways we've done it, written tests, quizzes, all of those like traditional school tasks. But how do we expand that to think about all the different ways that there could be evidence of learning and then really get into the nuances of how do we give feedback that actually moves the learning forward? And how do we empower learners to give feedback to themselves and each other? And then finally is expand. So I actually had to evaluate when I first started creating this. And then I realized I was just adhering to the systems that I grew up in because it, it really shouldn't end in an evaluation. And I know that's like the, the typical summative assessment paradigm most people have, but I said, what if we could end in story? What if at the end of a period of time, students have gathered evidence of learning, they've reflected, they've given themselves feedback, they've come to some understanding, they tell the story of learning. And they can do that in all kinds of ways. And that kind of creates a cycle whereby it calls other people into their journey and it helps them to see where they're going to go next. And then they can start all over again. So that's how I've imagined the voice process works all together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And so you're working a lot with, um, these districts, um, that you're consulting with Mm -hmm. and helping them implement this process.
1: Um in part I mean the process really lives with uh the empowerment ecosystem and the coaching that I offer in there which mm-hmm. is more of an online community online program when I go on site often it's a lot more driven by what they're currently working towards I find a huge topic right now is grading mm-hmm. <laughs> so whether they're calling it standards based grading or they're calling it equitable grading or they're just calling it modernized grading, whatever it may be, a lot of people want to rethink grading. So I find I'll do a lot of workshops and speaking and then coaching around that topic, or it'll be like very niche assessment design work. So kind of living in that optimize phase um, where I'll come in because they'll say, okay, we've implemented it, but how do we actually do standards-based grading? Like, what does that look like in action? And you're like, well, that's an assessment design conversation because we have to design for deeper learning. So I'll usually get brought in for very like, like pieces of the full process. But then what I offer in the program, I almost think of it like a train the trainer model okay. where i like, you can do what I'm doing, but you have to understand how all these pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. And you've got to know the full vision of where you're leading people to, because that's, we need that catalyst inside the system to keep this work moving forward. Otherwise I'm going to be a consultant who comes in as just another flavor of the month. And mm-hmm. then they're going to move on to something else the next year. And that's my ultimate hope is I don't want that, which is why I wanted the program to exist too is mm-hmm. to keep those people on the inside pushing for longer term change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like you said, there's a lot of people that want to dip their toe into standard space or equitable grading. And mm-hmm. like they have bits and pieces of knowledge because people have worked in some other systems, but like really to implement something, like you said, have have something that guides them, have something with uh, a consultant that follows up <laughs> throughout the year with them mm-hmm. or the year after and things like that really. Yeah. Like you said, be uh, the change process, as opposed to just having ideas that you know might last and then mm-hmm. move on to something different when mm-hmm. a
1: new administrator you know starts that like part. that that seems to be yeah yeah
0: that's
1: I've mm-hmm. seen <laughs> that happen sustain. again and again and again yeah. I, that's like really the biggest problem i think if teacher turnover is a part of it yeah. too for sure but senior leadership like superintendent turnover mm-hmm. man does that just pull the rug out of so many change efforts and lead to so much frustration for everyone in the system Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So you have mentioned that you are currently writing a book with Tom Shimmer. Um, mm-hmm. it's there's currently not a title to the book, but talk <laughs> to me a little bit about this and maybe when people can expect to see it out.
1: Yeah. well let's say the working title is Rehumanizing Assessment through Story. Mm-hmm. So we're taking both of our wealths of knowledge around assessment, and then saying, what if we looked at story as both a valid and reliable means of assessment of all mm-hmm. kinds of things? Um, not only what students are learning, so the standards, if you will, mm-hmm. but how they're learning. So how they're starting to figure out who they are as a learner, um, how they think of different strategies, uh, their different self-regulation processes, if you will. And when it is coming out, is <laughs> a good question, We are, our manuscript is due in... August. And then I've heard that the editing process can take up to a year. So still a little bit far away, but definitely going to be putting out content throughout the next year related to it as people are curious about this idea of how can we create the conditions for students to tell their story. And of course we can think of that on a macro or a micro level on a macro level, like in my perfect voice vision, which I recognize is fully utopian, but you got to have a vision that moves us. They are telling the story of their learning. We are not mm-hmm. just handing it over to a transcript or a single grade. Mm-hmm. They are the voice that is telling the story of their learning. So that's on a macro level. And then if we unpack that, there's a lot of things that would have to adjust in between to get them to the level to do that really well. Mm-hmm. And so there's tons of opportunities for micro stories. Like mm-hmm. students can come in at the very beginning of a class and a teacher gets them to tell the story of their past experiences in that class. Mm-hmm. And then they can use that information formatively by determining if they're going to change their design of their course based on experiences that have not been helpful for students in the past, or they could not, they could take that story and go, "Eh." so that's assessment. That's all assessment is it's evidence of learning. And so students have a story the second they walk in a room and then they continue to develop that story as we create the conditions for them to, to do so. So it all connects for me, but the ultimate goal is how do we create the conditions for them to reflect on their learning throughout an entire year or a course and tell that story to an external audience.
0: Yeah. So people can definitely look for that book. Um, Are you able to share the publisher that it'll be Mm, published? Yeah. It's going to be with solution tree. Okay. So definitely have that on the horizon, maybe for next summer. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And also you are hosting a grading from the inside out workshop in St. Louis Mm -hmm. in December. So tell how people can join um and register for that workshop and kind of uh, a little bit about the um agenda
1: yeah for sure so I have to give credit where credit's due grading from the inside out is the title of a book written by my co walker Tom Shimmer he's in the process of getting his visa renewed (laughs) and so we work very intimately so I'm taking over this this workshop for him which is one that is offered to anyone to attend nationally so if folks want to learn more they can find it on the solution tree website if they just search grading from the inside out they'll see all of the the, the offerings that are out there and the, the topics that we're going to cover are really how to cultivate those mindset shifts on the inside of your school system before you jump to the external changes in grading, like the report card, which is what a lot of people want to jump to very quickly. So those three mindset shifts, which are things we can do absolutely immediately. We don't need to change a report card. We could still do them while we're in a system that is percentage-based, that is task-based, That results in a single letter grade are giving students full credit for what they know so fixing some of the mathematical inaccuracies that happen in percentage grading and also really embracing this concept of reassessment and doing it in a way that's productive and not just an exercise of come again and guess differently on a different day Mm -hmm. and then the second thing we get into is redefining accountability i find this is a, a topic high school teachers really like to dig into which is basically, if we're not going to give zeros on work, if we're going to just say insufficient evidence, and we're going to give students you know longer to complete work if they need it, how can we ensure accountability? Because a lot of people will say, well, I need the traditional system. I need the zeros. I need the late penalties because it'll keep them accountable. But that doesn't always work in practice. So we need to rethink those systems. And then the final piece is repurposing homework. So how do we look at homework as a formative practice? And if we really want it to be that, then how do we need to interrogate including grades in homework? So if Mm -hmm. we don't grade it, how can we encourage them to take up that work? And how can we use that information to drive our instruction? So how do we really get it back in the formative space? So Mm -hmm. those are the three biggest things. The other thing we tend to touch on is also uh, assessing student attributes. So all Mm -hmm. of those behavioral attributes that are really important, but shouldn't be included in the grade related to the standards because those are two different things Mm -hmm. so how do we define them unpack them assess them communicate them all of that okay and would that have something to do when you're talking about the attributes with maybe
0: a work habits grade? Because middle schools yeah. in the district, uh, my daughter goes to, um, it's not counted towards their GPA, but it's more of yeah. that like satisfactory
1: versus unsatisfactory. They, gave, they give one through fours, but it does yeah. hold those
0: middle scores accountable. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. There needs to be something right to communicate to both the kids and the parents that we do care about these things. Like I've seen a lot of schools do citizenship, like some degree of citizenship Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And then the scale that we recommend is often a frequency scale. So Mm -hmm. rarely, sometimes, uh, rarely, often, I can't remember the titles off the top of my head, but you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? A frequency Mm -hmm. scale from rarely to consistently, but it's a tricky one because it usually is, you can't really, it's not rubricable per se but we do notice that the habits might increase or decrease depending on what's going on for a kid at the time. So at least it's a way into that conversation and to offer feedback.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, so you also um, book work through schools
0: and districts. So mm-hmm. um, how can people get in touch with you? And like you said earlier, often it, it is um, developing a PD that's aligned towards their mission and vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what would it look like if people were to book you for PD? Was that, would that be like a several day thing? Um, do you do online workshops to follow up? How, how does that look? Yeah,
1: I do pretty much everything. A lot of my booking goes through solution tree right now. Okay. So if someone were to reach out to me, likely through Twitter, or they could email me directly and I can give you all of that. So you can include it in the show notes, but it's a, uh, at Natabasso on Twitter, And then just nvartabasso at gmail.com. So my first initial last name, but if they get in touch with me and they say, I'm interested in whatever it could be, I've been asked to do one-off keynotes, Mm -hmm. um, to do a full day PD for all staff, to do leadership training, um, to do on site coaching for teachers. So I'm actually like elbow to elbow designing with them, um, to do full year long commitments or to just do a couple days, but it kind of depends on what folks are looking for and Mm -hmm it typically is under the umbrella of assessment and grading is what I got what I get brought in for.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we've talked a lot about your trench story moving Mm -hmm. from that classroom to instructional coach position. Uh, A lot of what you envision now, um, some change in terms of empowerment, student voice, Mm -hmm. and um, really how we can, um, not make grading change so complex (laughs) in schools, right? Because a lot of the time we make those excuses and then just do the same old, same old. Out of everything we talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember?
1: Big idea around assessment that I come back to again and again is we need to uphold it in our minds as a verb rather than a noun. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure everyone can imagine when I say noun, I think we all imagine this like, Pencil, paper, packet, stapled, long, people at desks, silent, stressful. It's going to count in a grade. And people put an S on the end. They'll say, my assessments. And that's when I know they're still living in that noun paradigm. Mm -hmm. And I would just encourage everyone to expand your understanding of assessment to think of it more as a verb, meaning an interconnected process of actions that we undertake, like the voice method points out, that really inspire, motivate, and ultimately can reflect learning. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's so important to remember. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. Not as something
0: we have to do, but rather as something that we can expand um, as ways Mm -hmm. of showing, showing knowledge, like the creative writing. Um, Well, you know, you've already mentioned where people can uh, get in touch with you. Uh, Like you said, you're on Twitter and Instagram, and people can also reach out to Solution Tree Mm -hmm. Um, is solutiontree.com correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you can even just Google me and find me on the website, but the best way is usually just to email or contact me even through direct message on social media directly. And then I can connect you with someone who can help you out at solution Tree, just to bypass some of the red tape.
0: Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the out of the trenches podcast today. It
1: was a pleasure speaking with you and learning more about grading. Yeah. You as well, Dana. Thank you for having me.
0: My book, Out of the Trenches Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon, you can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please re- leave a review and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at OutOfTrenchesPC. Mm-hmm.